There we so go. What now do we call good. you? Mad Max? Yeah, they call me Mad Max. Nice. How about oh, those Raiders? Oh, well, <laughs> I'm actually from Connecticut, so I'm around the tri-state area. So I'm a, I'm a New York Jets fan, unfortunately, but we've been doing pretty well this year. That's all right. <laughs> but I want to welcome you to the show. We have the one and only CJ Graham joining me here on the show tonight for Sports Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max, the horror show edition for October, Live 365, iHeartRadio. CJ, what is going on, man? How's your night going? Nah, it's doing great. Thank you for the invite. I appreciate you letting me come on your show. Of course, man. And I want to salute to you. Uh, most importantly, thank you for your service to our country. Yeah, I was uh, in the military 48 years ago. Yeah, working on nuclear missiles in Persian twos. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm considered Vietnam era uh, through 75. And then I transferred over to security on uh, Persian two nukes. So it went from one to the other. Honorably discharged. I heard about that. And just thank you for your service, everything that you do out there. I was doing my job. Yeah, but it, it all started here. I want to get into your backstory because I read a line. I know things could be wrong here, but you were born in Seattle, Washington. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I grew up there until I was 17, and then I left with the military and I never went back. <laughs> wow. So you've been out in the Nevada and Arizona area, L.A., because you were able to manage some casinos out there, resorts. Right. I uh, actually, I, my first gig in the casinos was in Reno, Nevada. I was a dealer at Circus Circus wearing a big pink shirt. Uh, then I left and went down to Los Angeles to take over nightclub restaurants and kind of ran into the, the stunt acting bug, stayed there for about seven, eight years. And then I moseyed on back to Las Vegas in the casino industry. And that's where I spent about 25 years. The real company, Special Effects, they came in. I heard that you had a hypnotist on Thursdays that would come in to do a show, and then they saw your physicality, and they decided that they wanted you to play Jason. You were coming through the screen. They saw your performance, and then that's how you got the phone call to go meet with Paramount. Yeah, it's one of those, you know, it's luck. I always say that. With nothing but luck. The, uh, the gentleman that did the uh, photo op for the Special Effects for... A hypnotist we had on Thursdays said, let's put CJ in uh, Ted White's wardrobe. And they were trying to come up with a real scary scene for the hypnotist to bring the subjects through. And when they put me in the wardrobe, just light bulbs went on to them. Me, I didn't don anything, couldn't, didn't care. It was just, hey, okay, I'm here. However, they kept saying, we're going to cast you, we're going to cast you. And a few months later, I got a phone call to go meet all the pertinent inf uh, people that were involved in it from Frank Mancuso Jr., to Michael Nomad, the stuntman, and, uh, of course, Tom McLaughlin, the writer-director. Unfortunately, when you walked out of there, you didn't get the part because there was someone else, another stuntman, that got the part. So for the paintball scene, it was someone different. But when they saw the physicality of the person that was portraying Jason first, they didn't think he looked as menacing, and they wanted someone of your stature. And then you got the call back, and you were immediately put right in there, Jason Lives. Yeah, actually, I didn't get the part originally because I was not a stuntman. I'd never done a stuntman in my life. Anything related, it was all brand new to me. However, the one scene with the paintball, they kept it. That was the first daily that came back to the uh, to Paramount Studios. And a lot of people just assume I'm wearing padding. Uh, but he was a little thicker than I was. And that thickness did not give the menacing look they were looking for. And then you came back and you took over. And that's how we all know it. But... And getting into the horror genre, because when you were younger, you grew up on Frankenstein, the Wolfman, Dracula, and the Mummy. Those are your major influences. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm in the process of watching Frankenstein right now, 1931. 
That's uh, classic. With I watched Bruce Carlo. last night. Yeah, uh, is it on DVD or are you watching on Turner Classics? I know Turner Classics will show it through the October month. It's on one of the Turner Classics. Okay, yeah, that's a classic right there. So I think the Universal Horror Monsters, the ones that uh, still affect us today, people go back and watch the the simplicity of them at the same time, the effect of how they are from a scary perspective. Especially with the real effects and the makeup and even with Tom McLaughlin, because when you were working with him, you had that in common that you both love the Universal Monsters. And then when you look at the Frankenstein, he was able to bring you back to life like Frankenstein. And then the similarities between when you when you're playing Jason in the cabin with the little girl, when Jason meets the little when Frankenstein meets the little girl with the flower and he throws her in the lake. There were some similarities in that scene. Yeah, I think the main thing is when you think of Frankenstein, you go back to the originality of the 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 brain is starting to connect the dots as he matures and gets older. And in some ways, um, those dots are being connected with sensitivity and then other ways, violence. But at the same time, if you go back to the little girl, it was more of a curiosity factor than it was hurting anybody that was small. I always, I always tell people that Jason doesn't hurt little kids. Jason hurts 15 and 16 year olds that aren't paying attention to their mother and father. <laughs> It's always interesting, especially when you look at all these evil villains in the slasher film, especially I know when the new Halloween came out, because they always say that Michael Myers is pure evil. But in the one scene where he's walking through the kitchen in the new one and there's a baby in the crib crying, they're like, if he was truly purely evil, he probably would have killed the baby. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I have you know, I know all the guys that played Michael Myers and we all have our little push and shoves between the Jasons, the Michael Myers and everybody Leatherface. And I always tell everybody that real men use a machete, not an Outback steak knife. So, you know, if you want to air this, make sure that the, the guys in Michael Myers hear that. Absolutely. No, Jason's always been my favorite slasher. And I, I grew up loving Jason lives because I agree with you when that Jason becomes the main center of attention in this film. It's all about what is Jason's next move? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because if you really take a look at it, uh, when part six was launched as a Friday the 13th platform, it is the first one where Jason sincerely becomes the principal of the movie. Up to that point, it was the actors and actresses. But it seems as part six was being launched, for whatever reason, the fans connected with now the homicidal killer, which now becomes basically history. And everybody's waiting for that homicidal killer to put the mask back on uh, for the next one. What's amazing about your performance, especially with the stunts, is that you were, you've were you never done a stunt before, you were never in any, any other film, and your first scene when you are filming that you can recall is the RV scene when you look out of curiosity and start work, walking towards the RV and you do the head tilt. When did you start to really get acclimated in being in that film, being that it was your first time on set? I don't think I ever got acclimated to it. I think it was more just touch and go. Um, you know, I'd only been in the military a few years. Um, I still today have a 30 inch walk all around. Um, I'm 6'3", 250, 245 to be exact. I was 6'3", 243 when I did the movie. So structurally, the only difference is my face is uglier, but I wear a hockey mask, so nobody knows that. <laughs> no, no. It, it, you've spoken about it before about you, you want to try anyone to put on that mask and act through it because people always don't look at actors such as yourself because you are an actor when you put on a mask i don't care you're still in a movie you still got to perform and you come off as medicine there's a lot of people out there that judge 
people who play characters such as yourself who are wearing a mask and who don't speak? Well, I think the challenge I tell people is just get in front of a mirror, put a hockey mask on and show anger, curiosity, fear, frustration to yourself, but you don't get to use eyebrows, eyelashes, mouth, anything but physical structure. And they kind of look at you and go, it's not that easy after all. Um, and that's the part about it that I think a lot of people don't realize is, you know, and now it's become even more popular in the last decade. How many principals are wearing masks? Tons of them. Lots of DC, lots of legends. They all got masks on now. They do. And they got to look back and pay homage to Jason because he was one of the main ones. Michael Myers and Jason were probably some of the main ones. I know Leatherface came out in 1974, so there's no one right there. But you can even tell, even with yeah, Leatherface, it feels old because you got the tongue. There's more of a personality there, so it's a little easier. Right. And I think the thing, yeah, and with Leatherface, he gets to make noises yeah, and show frustration through his body and his, and his voice. Uh, you know, Michael Myers doesn't get to do much but stare at you. And Jason, you know, he's got a tilt of a head, and that's about it. <laughs> I know your favorite kill because always everyone's always obsessed with the favorite kills in these movies, and they always want to ask the horror icons this. But I know your favorite kill was the sheriff when breaking his back and twisting him forward. Yeah, I think you know it, it's one of those things where there's no blood, there's no guts. It's just pure, pure power. And if you can imagine taking a chicken bone and just breaking it in half as a person's body that's that's pretty rad my favorite one is when you're when you put the girl through the mirror in the bathroom in the rv darcy yeah yeah i just did a uh vengeance 2 which darcy was re re resurrected as a result because nobody ever knew if she died or didn't die as a result it was just an assumption that she died so they brought her back for vengeance 2 bloodlines uh to fight uh, another day so to speak but i think this time she got murdered <laughs> the fan films that you could check out right there but there's so many memorable kills in there especially when you're at camp crystal lake and when you throw the knife from the bushes at the cop and he lands right into the boat the rowboat yeah that was michael nomad he was the stunt coordinator and uh you know he obviously kept me alive throughout the the movie uh he was down there breathing off regulators with me and bringing me air when i was out of air and setting me on fire and making sure I was being put out so I wasn't harmed anyway. Uh, he'd hook a cable up to me and start doing PSI jerk back so I could get the idea what it was going to feel like when they hit me with a shotgun. So, yeah, Michael, uh, I give all my life back to Michael because he kept me alive. What was the most difficult scene for you to shoot in Jason Liz? Because I heard that the RV scene was a little dangerous. And I and actually, when doing some of my research as well, the scene where you're shoving the spear into the car from the fence in which it got electrocuted, that it almost hit the woman actor in the car. Yeah, the I mean, the difficulty was, the, the most difficult was breathing underwater for, for mm. about 12 hours. You're, tw you're 20 feet down. You're actually chained down, standing on two center blocks, and you're continuously signaling for air when you need it every 30, 40 seconds. But I will say the one that was uh, the real, real one that was heavy was we took the spear and the first thing that Tom said, do you think you can put it through the windshield? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. Because otherwise we need to get a breakaway windshield. I said, no, I can probably do it. Well, if you think about your momentum coming from the left to the right over the top of the driver's seat, well, then your momentum is going to carry down to the passenger seat just naturally. 
So thank goodness that, you know, she went all the way down and so did the stuntman as I did that part, because by going all the way down into the under part of the passenger seat, the spear went right through the back of the passenger seat, as you see. Uh, there's no fake window there. There's no fake anything. That's a real windshield, a real spear. And that's just pure power putting it through a windshield. And I think that's some of the bad attitude that you've spoken about having, especially from being in the military when you're younger. So it was really coming out on screen there. Yeah, I mean, there's times, you you know, they call it PTSD. I just call it doing a good job. <laughs> uh, but it, it all came back full circle here because Alice Cooper was the first concert that you attended back in 1973. Welcome to my nightmare. Yeah, that was the interesting thing. When I was 16, uh, very, very, very first concert I went to was Alice Cooper. And I still remember going to it and being my first concert. And then having the opportunity in 1986 to work with him was what a pleasure, what an honor. Um, I just saw him in the last year. We do photo ops together where I put the wardrobe on and he dresses up for the fans and they take pictures with both of us. Um, but for me, what an honor to know someone on stage and never ever imagine that you'd get to meet them in person let alone see them usually once a year for a 20-year window it's pretty cool man behind the mask that's you <laughs> the, we always say that's the men behind the mask the men because <laughs> he wears his mask you know with his eyes and stuff uh, i actually have some behind the scenes photos here that i always like to show my guests and if they can take me back to remember that day, I have one right here of you getting the makeup applied from being under the mask. Yeah, that's a, that one was real easy. That's Christopher Swift applying the makeup in, in the back of a, basically it's the back of a truck. And all they're doing is blocking out my eyes to make sure that it doesn't show through the hockey mask um, at that point. And I'm just waiting for my set call. So they've got the hood on me. Uh, they've got my wardrobe on me, blacking out my eyes. Next thing is just put the uh, mask on me and Time to go to work. Another one here. You're by the, you're on the camera lens, actually. I like this one when you're in the full costume. Yeah, that just happens to be the very first shot of the movie. And we are doing the, uh, the 007 shooting. And I decided since I was there, I was going to be the director for a moment. Got down <laughs> and took some photos. So I still have that mask as a, as a matter of fact. Wow. So you got to keep the mask from the set because I know I've seen in other interviews where you have a background and it's just straight replicas of what you were given. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if I kept one or if it just it ended up in my bag. Man, Speaking of directors, because you got to work with Tom McLaughlin, he's touted as a, a, one of the greats in horror. When did you realize not having film experience that you were working at with a master at his craft? You know, it didn't phase me at all. Um Tom was very clear about the clarity, how he wanted the movie. He really wasn't looking for uh, specifics. He wasn't looking for a Dawn of the Dead or a Night of the Dead or a Walking Dead. Um, he wanted something original that could be compared all put together with some thought process, some personality, yet he was really looking for that physical structure where a person could just turn and look at you and you know they're pissed. Um, for whatever reason, it was lucky it came through and it worked on both sides. Friday the 13th Part 2 was the film that you saw prior to Jason Lives. So how did you draw trying to bring personality to this Jason only seeing the second film? Well, I think the difference was because Part 6 was being brought back to life like Frankenstein. And unfortunately, Part 5 wasn't as well received as Part 4. So really what they were trying to do is set a platform for a relaunching 
of the Jason series itself. So it really had to have some special, unique qualities to it. Tom McLaughlin added a little bit of comedy to it. Not much, but just enough to give it a sense of humor. But at the same time, if you notice, there's no nudity in it. There's a couple swear words, but there's no nudity. Uh, but my job was really simple. Do my job. And everything he told me to do, I just followed his instructions just like a soldier. Uh, he told me where to go, how to go, how to act. And then I would improv and put my natural physique, how I walked. Again, I naturally have a big mass walking at you. Um, so for me, it was pretty simple just to go ahead and be a little neutral, but more natural, I guess is the way. So I didn't have to really work. You know, I always give my brother Kane Hodder a hard time when I see him because in part seven, he's breathing. And I said, Kane, you're dead. Why are you breathing? <laughs> and to this day, he has to think about it. It wasn't a thought process. It wasn't two brothers collaborating before he did it. He just thought that was, you know, made him look bigger and he was breathing, but he had to do it through the entire four that he did as a result of doing it in part seven. Do you remember scaring any of the actors or actresses on set when they finally saw you? Because I know I heard that you stayed away from the actors when you were on set. I did stay away from them because, again, let's go back to until part six, Jason was still just a actor. The principals were Tom Matthews and all the other actors on set, Darcy, etc. I was just the monster. Um, but once it came out, the monster kind of took over. So with that being said, I kind of just sat in the back you know, of the trailers and the trucks and bullshitted and laughed with the special effects people until I got a call from Tom McLaughlin. They want the monster on set. <laughs> then I put my mask on and I head out. Uh, one time I got in trouble because I didn't know about union rules and there was a 5k light and they were trying to carry it up to the set. And I grabbed one side with the light guy, the grip guy and said, come on, I'll help you. I can walk it up with big old hand on a grip. And a light, and I, oh, you can't do that. I got, okay. Well, I just, you know, help another brother. You know, he, need, he needed help to carry the light, so I grabbed it. <laughs> I heard that you didn't attend the premiere. You had to go work with the casino, so you didn't, unfortunately, get to attend the premiere. It's interesting because people say I didn't. I went right back to work in the, uh, the nightclub industry as soon as I got back. And it's no different than Vengeance 2 just came out this past week up in Seattle, Washington. And guess what? I was uh, doing a convention out of town. Couldn't make it. Uh, my priorities are work, of course. I'd love to go to a premiere. Uh, but when I make a commitment for something like a convention I did this past weekend, you know, I was in Spokane doing a convention. The premiere was in Everett, Washington, but it just couldn't make the schedule work. So when was the first time that you actually saw the film as a whole, either on the big screen or in its complete form since you didn't make the premiere? I went and saw it in the big screen. Uh, I was in Hollywood at the time. I lived in North Hollywood. So within a week or two of it coming out, I went down and watched it. And how was your reaction the first time and seeing yourself on screen, being that this was your first film? I, you know, I don't know if I was impressed, embarrassed, or just proud. It was one of those, okay, I did it. I did not go to Los Angeles to do it. So to me, it was, okay, I did a job. They paid me well. Thank you very much. I, what I did then is I took over a, a private nightclub restaurant for Jackie Collins. Mm. Jackie Collins is Joan Collins' sister. She owned the original Tramp of London in the Beverly Center in Beverly Hills. And I say members only, Stallone would come in and go to table five. Prince would come in and go to table 43. 
um, all these different big wigs would come in. You had to go through two locked doors to get in and it was members only. So I was the general manager. Um, and one of the people would come in was a manager, an agent. And he had heard that I'd done the Friday the 13th. And he goes, well, you have a SAG card, Screen Actors Guild? I go, yeah. He goes, what are you going to do with it? I go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> what do you do with it? He goes, well, why don't you let me represent you? We'll see if we can get you a commercial agent, yada, yada. So it ended up that I, I did five or six national commercials. Uh, oh, Miller Beer, I heard about. Gatorade, Miller Beer. Yeah, Goldie. and then all of a sudden, um, I got the opportunity to do Highway to Hell. Um, so okay. that was kind of interesting. And then at that point, I kind of realized that being 6'3", 243, uh, really wasn't favorable in the Hollywood era at that time. Uh, you know, the biggest person out there was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's 6'1", 230. <laughs> Um, so I went back in the casino industry back in Las Vegas, started working in the casino industry as a floor supervisor, pit manager, casino manager, vice president, up to uh, chief operating officer, general manager. Uh, you, you've had some story to, to tell here, man, just your experiences from being with casinos and did the people that you were able to be in the presence of, especially as a manager in these clubs. Do you have any stories of seeing Sylvester Stallone and Prince and did you get to talk to some of these guys? Well, I will tell you, like Stallone was single at the time, to be fair, and he would always come in with two bodyguards, two blondes, and get two bottles of Cristal. Pretty simple. <laughs> you know, um, Prince, table 43, red wine. He came by himself, you know. So, But I'd see a lot of those folks coming in and out. Um, I was also uh, vice president of casino operations at the Palms in Las Vegas for George Maloof. And, you know, Las Vegas had a saying, uh, what, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. <laughs> Um, we used to say at the Palms, what happened at the Palms never happened. So, <laughs> you know, I got an opportunity to meet a lot of people running casino resorts. Um, I'm very blessed. I probably have collected 60 guitars autographed from everybody from Willie Nelson to Montgomery Gentry to Alan Jackson's and microphones by Debbie Reynolds um, because I got that opportunity. The interesting thing, I ran two clubs or two uh, casinos in Agua Caliente, Coachella Valley, and Agua Caliente, Palm Springs. Well, the Agua Caliente and Coachella Valley for three years, we had the uh, we had the Lou Ferrigno Classic. So I wow. got to meet Lou Ferrigno, his family, because we had the bodybuilding classic. And then he realized that I had played Jason. So when I see him on the road now that I'm retired, he knows exactly who I am because we had dinner a few times at the casino. Wow. And he's another iconic figure in his right for playing the Incredible Hulk. Huge. I mean, he's he's one person I can look up to who's had an amazing career. Not as big as we'd like it to be, but at the same time, um, he's a, an amazing individual. Good man. Got a great wife. Uh, got three beautiful children, uh, two boys and a daughter. Um, so I got an opportunity to meet a lot of people in the casino industry. I'm very blessed. Um Back in 87, you know, we kept it under wraps pretty good, but there's quite a few pictures floating around out there of 1987 when I was with Chippendales in Culver City, L.A. Um, I worked for Steve Banerjee. Uh, we kept that under wraps in the casino industry just because it's like, you know, your general manager was a Chippendale. Well, now that I'm retired, yeah. I mean, here, let me let me show you up on the wall here. You see that on the wall back <laughs> yeah, there? Yeah, I see that, yeah, in the corner. That's my cuff. That's my cuffs and collars, my spandex pants, uh, and a picture of me and just that. And then, of course, my Raiders helmet and cards from the Palms that have never been cut. And of course, 
my nemesis, Jason. <laughs> the big Raider guy. So how do you feel about the move to Las Vegas? Because they're always in Oakland. And, and, well, but they were in LA at a time too. I'm looking over here to Jersey and it says uh, Stabler on the back, number 12. Ken um, Stabler, the snake. The snake. And I was blessed when I ran a casino resort. My employees bought that for me as a gift and got it autographed. Uh, my wife would not let me put it up in her house until I got her a Jerry Rice. So I attempted to get a Jerry Rice with the Raiders. That didn't go over well, so I had to go back and get a red one. Um, you know, I'm more of the – to me, the Raiders are just the Raiders. Everything bad and cool about football is the Raiders. You don't got to be purdy. You don't got to be sweet. If they can sit up till 5 in the morning and drink beer in Oakland and go play a game, that's a rebel. You know what I mean? And I just always like them. And the color, silver, black, is just – cool it's, you know they win they lose it's all the above but to answer your question about you know the what they did going to vegas i mean it looks like a spaceship it's so cool uh it's just really off the cuff i'm real happy for them i hope they have a better season and can get some wins up there some big w's they deserve it but there's a lot of good teams out there this year so there's been a shakeup, and we'll see with all the the maneuvers and changes of some of the quarterbacks and uh wide receivers and some that have retired. We'll see how we, how it comes out this year. You got Devontae Adams this year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've never really been necessarily a Tom Brady fan per se, but I've always been impressed with him as an athlete, you know, at his age and what he's done and the amount of things he's done. I look at that differently than I do look at as him being a, he's not a real loud vocal individual. Um, I really feel bad about his marriage at this point because he's sacrificed everything for football or she has sacrificed everything for football and he just loves it so much. He's willing to give it up, I guess. Uh, but you got to give him credit for that. I mean, you know, I'm just, I've never seen an athlete so good and so in control most of the time of his emotions. And, you know, in the old days we used to find athletes to look up to as young people and Will Chamberlain and all these cool people, uh, that was as a child you're looking for. And for some reason today, the athletes don't want to be viewed uh, that way anymore. You know, I mean, they want to get paid. I respect that, but they don't want people to put them on a pedestal like they used to. It's a lot of pressure. A lot of them can't handle, especially me being from the Tri-State area. A lot of them can't handle the New York spotlight. And that's why a lot of these New York teams, unfortunately that I'm a fan of, they don't pan out every year is because they don't want the attention of the spotlight. And it's tough. I got to be fair. Social media has put a large crack in uh, what was once, you know, not necessarily everybody had knowledge, but just enough to keep things fresh. You know, um, I feel bad because it's, it's, you can't even really go on a date anymore without somebody possibly accusing somebody of using a bad word or, 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 you know, giving them a stinky eyeball or something. I don't know. It's, it's not, it's sad. It's unfortunate. Um, and it's just not as much fun as it used to be for our athletes that once were, you know, people we could look up to like on Mount Olympus. You're exactly right. It's unfortunate. I'm not a big social media, even though I have to do it because I have a radio show, so I got to keep running it through social media. But I, I wish we'd go back to the times where we could just read a book and you just watch a movie in peace. But we don't have that anymore. And, and even movie theaters are starting to disappear because everything's going through Peacock now and Netflix. So now it's movie theaters are starting to be going away here and i'm not a fan of that at all 
Well, you know, one thing, not to change the corner on you, but one thing I'll tell you about being Jason in part six, and, and I mean this, I couldn't do this without the fans. This is three decades later, and we're still having this conversation with Mad Max. Here we are talking with the fans about Jason. Um, all I get to say is thank you. I'm very conscientious about what I just said, that I don't accidentally insult somebody. You know, perception is reality. So I try to be very careful what I say that, I won't be perceived as saying something negative. Doesn't mean I don't accidentally, you know, stick my size 12 in my mouth, but I'm very quick to say I apologize because my intent isn't to hurt somebody's feelings when you make a smart remark, you're just goofing around. But I, I, I'll tell you right now, without the fans, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So my loyalty and my appreciation to the fans is just beyond. Um, here's a good way of looking at this. 1986, Top Gun, was the number one movie. You may not remember that because you're young. Yeah. Anyway, 1986, Top Gun was the, the movie of the movies. Now, there's about 1.4 billion people in India. And if you took an 8 by 10 picture and showed it of Tom Cruise, right now, they'd all say Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. If you showed an 8 by 10 picture of C.J. Graham or Ken Hotter, uh, they'd shrug their shoulders. But if you turned it over and it had the hockey mask on it, they'd all know Jason Friday the 13th. So it may not be of the A-lister of Mr. Cruz. Um, I can go to a restaurant <laughs> and not be bothered, but that doesn't mean I don't go to restaurants that people know me, I get recognized. Um, but at the same time, for me, it's just an honor because I played a part that has become iconic. And there's some great horror movies out there right now I'm telling you, Max, some really good ones in the last decade. But the big question will be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, if they're still resonating, like I've been blessed as Jason or Leatherface or Freddy Krueger or, you know, Halloween. Time will tell, and I wish them all the best. One thing cool about playing Jason Part 6 that I always tell people is I get to have the opening like James Bond, okay? I get to come back to life like Frankenstein. I get to have a rock and roll Hall of Famer do the music, and I get to wear a Batman utility belt. How cool is that? Oh, it's cool. And I know with the utility belt and the gloves, this was all Tom McLaughlin's ideas. Yeah. And the cool thing is, you know, again, I was in the military 40 years ago. I'm a Vietnam era vet. Everything I wore was from Vietnam era, with the exception of the dart holder is a 30 caliber holder from World War II. The belt the 18 inch machete, the black combat boots, the khaki pants, OD green shirt, everything I was wearing was Vietnam era military. <laughs> so I kind of already been wearing it for four years. It was very familiar to me. <laughs> um, once I put it on, I, well, I know how to do this. And it, I knew how to make it fit. I knew how to make your gap, your, your gig line straight when you put your belt down so you didn't look goofy like you're all frumpy. Um, and I think for me personally, I mean, uh, it was a blessing. I'm lucky. I'm 65 years old now. Uh, to give you an idea, I retired five years ago. And now I have the blessing to talk on podcasts and try to help others push their young careers forward. And at the same time, do uh, conventions and events. Uh, I'll be doing a show here in two weeks where I'll be putting full wardrobe on and doing photos with the fans. I mean, it's cool. And the cool thing is the wardrobe is spot on. It's 100% accurate just like the picture behind you, because I have 
again, I can tell you where to get all the parts. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> I know it's the exact on too, especially with the stab marks from the spear that Tom Matthews does with the fence. There's yeah, seven yeah. of them. Yeah. I remember having <laughs> some professionals do them and they sent them back. I sent them all the photos and stuff. And they sent it back. So, well, there's only six. We need seven. Well, where's the seventh? I go look right under. Oh yeah. I didn't even see that one. Boom. They put another hole and sent it back to me. So, man. Speaking of being chained at the the bottom of the lake here, have you heard about the Jason statue at the end of Lake Pleasant that was chained to the bottom of the ocean? I've heard a couple rumors for the record, one uh, in Arizona and one in uh, Michigan. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you know that if you go online, pump, pump to Walmart, you can buy the little one with the chain to put in your fish aquarium. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> $30. It's true. True story. I, I, I yeah. looked it up myself. It's 30 bucks and it's me with the chain. And a little bubble comes out every once in a while of Jason. So I, I listen, it's not a big deal. Listen, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not poor. I'm okay. You know, yeah. I'm happy. I'm pretty healthy. Like I said, I am 65. Uh, but, you know, um, I did this film Vengeance here a while back. And uh, I just got a new knee about four months ago. But I had to do the Vengeance film and my knee was bone on bone. So there was a couple scenes where we had to take a break where I got the gapper tape. Uh, like duct tape, mm -hmm. drop my drawers, and we tape my knee up as solid as a rock because I had to pick up this 100-pound cross and drop it on an actor's head. There was no way I could lift it up on one leg without my leg breaking and me hurting the actor. So they gave me a five-minute break, and I dropped my drawers right there on the set. We taped it all up and stuff, and then we finished the scene. Uh, two years ago, I did a film with uh, D. Wallace and Deborah Voorhees called 13 Fanboy, wow. and... I had to do a fight scene and my whole stomach area was black and blue. In fact, I went because I had to do a bunch of scenes. When you're young, you tuck and roll. When you're old like me, you go thump. <laughs> just kind of lay this here. You young man, you're just going to tuck and roll. You're going to jump up and look good. I'm going to hit the ground and say, okay, let me check my toes. No, no, that's working. Knees good. Okay, my eyeball's a little blurry. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go through a checklist, all right? I'm going to reboot the computer. You, you just roll, partner. But uh, my whole midsection had torn. So I went to the hospital, VA, a veteran. I went to the VA two weeks later and I said, you know, is this normal? And I pulled my waist down and it was black. I mean, not black and blue, black. And she just looked at me and said, oh, no, that's not normal. We need to get you to emergency right now. Should we have an ambulance take you? And No, it was just that I had torn all the muscles across my abdomen. So when my point is, when you're my age, you stop doing, you stop doing stunts. <laughs> So Tom McLaughlin has rewritten a new script. Jason never dies, and he would really like to get it out there. We've had dialogue. Would I be able to do the physicality of Jason? And the, the odds are probably because we don't have to do crazy stunts as Jason because everybody knows my body, my physical structure. If you get a chance, I would, I would ask you to go to, uh, to uh, Vengeance Bloodlines on YouTube when you get a chance and watch it. The last 20 minutes is the most cool part, uh, but you'll actually see me come back as Jason part six in that movie. You got to check that out. The fans they have to check that out. They wardrobe. What's that? Fans have to check that out if they haven't already. They, it, they, we, they put me in full wardrobe. There's a fight scene with uh, Tommy Jarvis. He gets blurred and all of a sudden he's wearing the blue jacket from 1986 and he's squaring off with me in full wardrobe. And everybody's minds just blow. The question is, when everybody sees me, they go, that's CJ, that's CJ. 
again, I weigh one pound heavier. <laughs> so with the exception <laughs> of this ugly eyebrow, I look the same in the mask, right? <laughs> I know Victor Miller and, and Sean Cunningham have been having issues for years, so I hope they get the copyright issues resolved here so that Tom McGawkman can get the script for it. But I know that I've heard you say in other shows as well, just you'd want to deliver a product that you could be proud of and the fans could be proud of. And you don't want to look at this is just, you just being some has been coming back and you definitely don't want to be a part of Jason goes to space. I know that you want to be, no, I don't do the space thing. Okay? Yeah, no, no. What I'm hoping though, is if I had an opportunity, if I could deliver a product as good or better, then I would. But if I couldn't, I'd have to step away. Now, that doesn't mean I couldn't do 85% of it and I get a stunt guy to do some things for me that I'm not comfortable with. I'm okay with that. I, I, I don't think that's an embarrassing thing at all, personally. But at the same time, this part 13 is going to be the launching platform to relaunch uh, the Friday the 13th series. And no matter what I'd like to do, it needs to be in the best interest of the fans. What is your reaction when you read articles online to such as GQ? Because GQ named Jason Lives the best one in the franchise. What are your thoughts on that? And what do you think it, it why do you think it is the fan favorite at the end of the day? Well, I think everybody drinks a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I, I humbly say thank you. I think Tom McLaughlin brought a real additional flavor to Jason's non controllable power without nudity, without swearing where people embraced it because of all of the Fridays, you could technically show part six to a five-year-old, a six-year-old, and not have to cover their eyes no. you know, or plug their ears because of words. And the blood is limited in there because in those days, blood of that amount was rated X. So we couldn't get it in. Unfortunately, in those days, VHS was cut, put on the floor and swept up, do, 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 and went in the garbage. Today, it's all saved to the cloud. So if that would have been saved to the cloud or electronically, just think of how he could have done a director's cut today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that would be really cool. But I'm hoping Tom gets a shot because he's got it. Uh, Jason never dies. Tom McLaughlin has always had in his mind what he wanted for part seven. And part 13, in my opinion, and I'm just a person, I would love to see part 13, 14, and 15 shot at the same time repetitively with the same Jason body, a different director and a similar of scripts that all connect the dots so that part 13 doesn't look like part 14 went to Mars, then part 15 went to the ocean. I want them to have a connective valley. If anything, we've learned so much, so much from the different movies out there that have continued. And when you start thinking about those films that have continued, and went through over and over, they have, there's a series to them, you know, episodes, I guess is what I'm looking for. Um, so I'm hoping they do the similar with three of them. My opinion is you shelve three, you give one, get it out. 18 months later, you drop another one. 18 months later, you drop another one. Point being, you got the right Jason, characteristic wise, you've got directors that have to have some connectivity. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's kind of like Star Trek. You look how Star Trek came along. You look at Game of Thrones came along. They should do that with the Jason now. And I think the fans would appreciate it because that way it's not all over. You know, there is a formula to it. And, and uh, most of the franchises are like that. When you look at Halloween, because of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, then you got 4 and 5. It, it, it's all over the place. And I think it would make sense to go in chronological order. 
Well, what was the one that was a billion dollar film with the little boy and the broom and the round glasses? Uh, they did like 13 of them now. Um, oh, uh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Great example. Max, what an example. Do a Harry Potter for the next three of similarities so there's connectivity. Exactly. You know, and I think that's going to embrace the fans to bring it back and say, now, now we love number one. But to answer your question more simply, as far as Jason, I just, I just got lucky. You know what? I mean that sincerely. Sometimes you get friggin' lucky. I got lucky. I did my job just like in the military. I was a sergeant in the infantry. Um, I was a chief operating officer, general manager of 2,300 employees, a billion dollar resort. I did my job. And when I say I did that is uh, Max, I did that with a high school diploma and an honorable discharge and ran a billion dollar casino. So I'm not saying don't get a college degree, but I always say I have a PhD in common sense. All right. It ain't brain surgery. So learn from what you can learn from people like you in the industry and then connect all the dots and put it together for what's most effective for the franchise. And whatever that is, you know, if it was me, Mr. Miller and Mr. Cunningham, I'd say, guys, let's make a couple movies and just put all the money in a trust fund. And, you know, one of you dies or whatever happens, God forbid, then we'll split it at that point. You may find a trust fund with 200 million in it. These two gentlemen may go, I think I'll just take my hundred million. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is me thinking as a casino executive, let's talk money, numbers, ratios, algorithms, bottom line, EBITDA, right? So 100 million, 150 million sitting in the bank. We can't touch it till we come to decisions. They may just say, well, why don't we just make a decision for this one? Because I want my 50 million. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, it's just, it's, it's sad when people get to a point of, of, of anger. I don't know if it's hate, to be fair, or just frustrations. You know, it's just, it's too bad. It's difficult to tell, especially when, learning about because you were supposed to do part seven i know what happened john mm-hmm. carl buchler getting kane out of the role and there's no hard feelings between you and kane i know you and kane are very close and you often tease kane at conventions by putting the x where he signs on the mask when did you start to know and get become friends with kane hotter was it around uh, the new blood time and when you first did because i know you first did your first convention 1989 1990 with kane hotter and lar park lincoln yeah, I was originally slotted to do part seven. Kane will tell you the same thing. Paramount said use uh, the gentleman from part six. They were satisfied with the performance. Kane Hodder is a huge, huge horror fan. One of the part badly. He went to John, who he'd worked with before, and convinced John that he let him do it. John then had to go to Paramount and convince Paramount. And the rest is history. Um, hard feelings? No, because I didn't go to L.A. to be an actor. And I got to be fair to my friend Kane. The man has been a great ambassador for Friday the 13th series. He's out there every weekend selling the product. I don't think I could have done that, to be quite honest. Um, there was some, some rumble with Friday, uh, Freddy versus Jason. Uh, management contact me. They were looking for a bigger Jason. Um, again, uh, no bragging, but I was in a seven-digit contract running casinos, uh, I'm not going to go make $50,000 to make a movie and not have a job. Didn't make sense. I passed. And then my friend Ken got the job and I didn't know Ken was, I knew Ken was six, six. He's a big guy. He's a monster. But when I did a photo op with that man a couple of years ago at, at Texas Frightmare, he was huge. And I looked up and said, how, how are you so big? He goes, well, I'm, I have a two inch platform. 
I said, oh, he goes, yeah, they wanted me to be bigger than I was at 6'6". Six, six, so they put me on a two-inch platform to make me 6'8". I said, well, you're huge. <laughs> the guy was like, damn, man. Um, so he did his job and went on about his business. And then, of course, Derek Mears, good guy, got married a couple of years ago. And I don't know if you know much about Derek, but Derek is huge into improv and comedy. And he's always engaged with that. And he had the, uh, the swamp thing he did a series on for about a year. Unfortunately, it didn't, didn't work out. I watched every episode trying to support him because he really has a long resume of, of multiple cultural monsters that he's paid, played besides being Jason. But, you know, the one thing is, unfortunately, or fortunately for me, once you get uh, Jason under your belt, you're stereotyped. Rambo stereotyped, right? But at the same time, to me, it's a blessing and an honor because I, I don't have a very long resume. I, I'm very fortunate, like you indicated, that part six is one of the top uh, received by the fans. Um, and when I get out there, I mean, I love talking to the fans. I mean, I, I wouldn't be here without the fans. So I make sure that when they ask me the question about my favorite kill, I give them the answer just like it's the first time I've heard the question ever. Because for them, it is the first time they've ever asked the question. So I'm very humbly appreciative of everything that they play forward towards me. And I try to play it back to them. You brought up Ken before, because when Kane Hodder was, because he was always advocating Freddie versus Jason. And unfortunately, Ronnie, you didn't want to go with Kane Hodder. And he was, that was a, just a tragic story just hearing about that. And it was such a low in Kane Hodder's career, but I heard that they would were possibly considering bringing you back to play Jason. Is that true? I read that online for Freddie versus Jason. Yeah. And that's, the idea was management came to me and asked me if I'd be interested. Uh, they wanted a bigger Jason. And like I said, I was in a, a seven digit contract running casinos. Yeah. It wasn't worth 50 grand to go make a movie. And I had to pass on it because, so I go make 50,000, which is a lot of money, but I'm making a lot more running casinos. Uh, and then I got to go find a job as a chief operating officer um, or a GM and those jobs, they're, they're few and far between. Once you get to the top of the ivory tower, you know, you want to make those numbers and EBITDAs and you just don't want to leave that job until you're ready to retire. But I will tell you that it was, it was an honor to be considered. You know, it makes me an honor to say I was considered in part seven and I was considered in part Jason versus Freddie. So um, I always give Kane a hard time because I love him. You know, Kane, I could sign part six and part seven. What? What do you mean? Six and seven. You know how he gets, right? I said, well, I'm in the prologue of part seven, right? I said, I got credits in the back of part seven. And they paid me. And he looked at me one time. He goes, well, I guess you could. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do it. (laughs) But I was one of these days I'm going to sign six part seven and give it to him just to annoy him. But I'll do things with Kane. I, and it's only because I love him. He's a good man. Just, you know, yeah. I had a guy a few weeks ago, Kane Hodder had signed something and he was going to come to my table. He was going to pay me to sign it, yada, yada. And I said, I'll tell you what, if you let me sign right over the top of Kane Hodder, I'll do it for free. <laughs> he let me wait till Kane sees that he's going to mother F me. So, but I, I do things just to not to harass him. Just, I care about him. He's a good man. Yeah. Uh, if his table's by the bathroom, I'll put arrows to the bathroom and put Kane's Kane's office with arrows to the bathrooms. <laughs> and if he's late coming down, I'll put my pictures in between his pictures and autograph them so that they'll take one. All of a sudden, my pictures are autographed. <laughs> and I'll, 
I'll, he calls me BJ all the time, but Keen, you know, he's my buddy. I, I mean, you know, I just, I, I love him because I know he's worked so hard and I respect uh, his resume of work, everything he's done in the industry. Um, you know, my industry was running casino resorts. His industry was being a stuntman and an actor in the Hollywood atmosphere. And I'm honestly just proud to be part of uh, riding on his tail and Ken's tail and Ted White's tail and everybody that's played the Michael Myers and RJ and RA and Leatherfaces and of course, you know, Robert England. So I, you know, I've got no complaints and just appreciation that I'm allowed to be there. No. I know that with Kane Hodder is also taking photos with the rock. He got the chance to choke Mike Tyson. Has there been any stories where you could tell and meeting these figures such as Mike Tyson? Do you have any stories of your own at these conventions? No, I don't because I, I don't do that many shows to be honest. Um, like I said, Kane will do 25 a year. Now that I'm retired, <laughs> I can do, I'll do maybe 10. I, you know, I don't want to wear myself out my welcome yeah. to the fans. Um, and it's secondarily, you know, I still get to meet everybody. I mean, it's interesting because I'll have Alice Cooper sit next to me. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then there'll be two people over will be the Fonz. I'm going, oh, this is cool. And then over there is Lou Frigno. Oh, this is cool. And although over there is everybody from Cobra Kai. I'm like, dang, this is, am I supposed to be here? Yeah. <laughs> is there a mistake? <laughs> hey, let, me, let me make sure I'm here. Yep, I'm here. Um, so again, I'm a more, um, I, I feel more appreciative that I'm here and humble that I'm here. Um, is it great? Hell yeah, it's great. But at the same time, um, I got lucky. And sometimes luck, that doesn't mean you don't get the job. You got you get the job, you got to produce or they reduce, okay? I got the job and uh, I did the job and today we're still talking about the job. So uh, thank you. I mean, thank you, Max, for even thinking of me and the fans that are following your show and just part of the conversation to be part of the elite of the guys that played Jason. Of course. And CJ, to close out the show here, before we get into the final closing, how do you celebrate Halloween in October? Well, this, this is a little odd. This year I'm going to be up in Canada doing an event. Wow. Uh, it always doesn't work out because they've got me doing an event somewhere, but uh, I have done a couple things. They're called uh, trunk and treat with the kids in town where I got all the hot rods and I go down there and sign autographs for free. Um, in November of last year, not that it was Halloween, but it was the 246th year of the Marines. And I went down to Camp Pendleton and signed over 300 autographs for Marines, took selfies uh, for their special day of their uh, birthday. Uh, anything to do with the military, I'm in, you know, being ex-military, I'm army, but those, 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 those Marines are okay. <laughs> um, you know, but I'll always do something. Uh, there was a thing last year, it's called shop with a cop mm -hmm. here in Montana. And I donated 500 to, uh, the sergeant so he could shop with kids for Christmas. Um, a couple of years ago, I donated my social security check to 4-H. So I'm always wow. doing something I can, I'm not rich, I'm not poor, but I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. And a good man that gives back. And I appreciate that. Yeah, and I try to, but hey, most importantly, I got—I I just want to send a shout out to Mad Max and uh, Live 365 and, of course, uh, iHeartRadio for allowing me to be on your show. I'm appreciative. I'm humble. I uh, look forward to having another conversation with you next time, and I wish you uh, and your followers nothing but the best. I appreciate that, CJ. And 
they can follow you on Instagram and Twitter and keep up to what you're going to at CJ Graham. Yes, sir. You already know. CJ Graham, thank you for all that you've done for horror and what you do for the horror fans, and especially, most importantly, your time in the service. Thank you again, man. Enjoy the rest of your night. Enjoy your October. All right, peace. Be safe, stay healthy. Be safe and stay healthy as well.